I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy at Genesee Community College. When you think about creativity, what comes to mind? An artist painting a picture or a musician writing a song are prime candidates. But what about someone writing a technical manual for your phone or making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? They're creating, but are they creative? Can we separate the two? What about a painter and a musician? If they're using chords or colors that have been used before, are they actually creating anything new at all? Today we look at the complexities of creativity. All right, so um, we'll take care of some kind of house cleaning business first. Um, If you're on the podcast end of it, you'll probably notice that our audio quality might be a little bit lower. Um, For the first time, Norm and I are not in my studio together recording. We're in our separate locations and uh, we're, we're recording over, over distance due to yeah. uh, you know, some current, current world events and things. Um, so we apologize for the lower audio quality. We're coming up with creative solutions um, on the fly to try to mitigate some of those issues. And you know, hopefully as the weeks go on, things will get a little bit better, but we're trying to uh, deliver the highest quality uh, for you that we can, given the circumstances. Um, part of that is uh, if you're not listening to the podcast version, then you're probably actually watching us on YouTube um, because we're using Zoom um, to do the podcast remotely. So over the course of um, our testing, we decided, well, hey, if we're going to be doing the recording via distance anyways, might as well use the video, put it up on the internet, and maybe some of you are interested in what we look like. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just realizing, Norm, you probably haven't, this is, you've only seen me a couple times now since I shaved my beard, and I didn't, I didn't mention this. I didn't, I didn't remark about that, because I I assume that that may be going to either accommodate spring or accommodate uh, face masks or both. Yeah. I'm going to have to do the same thing, apparently. (laughs) Well, our new viewers will never know what my beard looked like, so. Well, it was a mighty fine Herculean beard, but it's (laughs) a farewell to the beard. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so we'll get into it today. Um, We're talking about creativity, Um, and it's going to be an interesting podcast, and I think that uh, we talked about a little bit. The video format will lend itself well to it, because um, I know... We're going to do a, a little bit of show and tell, some demonstrations. We're, we're both creative people. And, uh, you know, the, there's parts of the philosophy of creativity that um, it can be Im- demonstrated in a very important kind of visceral way through the actual acts of doing it themselves. So we'll get into that as well as, you know, cover our, our normal topics. So let's, uh, let's start with the essence of it. What what does it mean to to create or be creative? But that discussion, I don't think there's a beginning point to that discussion, so we're not going to do a, like, a historical um, review, really, but we'll touch on uh, a couple of things. But it, it, in, the, in the ancient world, and that spills right up into our own time, the, the, the uh, dichotomous... Bifurcated uh, topics of of the artistic and the creative and the imaginative came 
through the metaphor of, of the Dionysian and the Apollonian, of the, the two uh, opposing forces, if you will, uh, put in metaphorical terms of, of, of the Greek gods. Um, so uh, that was talked about from back in Socrates and Aristotle uh, all the way up through to uh, Schopenhauer and then into our current time. So the, the Dionysian is the, uh, the Dionysius is the god of wine and celebration and so on and so forth. Um, ecstasy, intoxication, not not necessarily literal intoxication, but the intoxication of, uh, of spirit and vitality and, and passion that goes into an artwork. But, th but then there's also the Apollonian, which is the spirit of uh, Apollo, of uh, order and temperedness and uh, temperedness and uh, the redu reduction of chaos, uh, restraint. So take the marvelous creative passion, that inspiration that people sometimes talk about with the muses speaking to artists, and then try to put some order to it. And the two of those together are in conflict for a while as uh, for any indeterminate amount of time within the artist or the creative person's uh, mind and, and heart. And then um, out of that, collision, a compromise takes place, and a compromise would be the piece of art. Right, so we already have, um, you know, a very different sort of definition of creativity classically than we have in modern times, because um, up until around the Enlightenment, creativity wasn't looked at as something that the individual does so much as something that kind of comes to the individual through a divine inspiration. That's right. That's right. So, you know, until fairly recent modern history, um, creativity wasn't, wasn't really seen as something that you had a whole lot of control over as an individual. It had to be open to the visitation. It is interesting because it, it's, uh, in a sense, not reduces, it starts out from a place where the autonomy of the individual is really not a major part of the equation. Uh, as you say, it's, it's, it's an outsideness. But it's still, uh, and, and there are still those who say it's still an outsideness, that the inspiration uh, comes of, and even Kant was uh, with Immanuel Kant would say the imagination is 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 powerful, uh, but all the materials for the imagination are already around us in nature, and and so uh, we aren't we are interpretive in a sense. But for those who said it did did come from the outside, yes, it's just up to you to be open to it. If you're not if you don't have the skills or the capacity. The inspiration can be there, but nothing's going to happen. Right. So, so let's look into it a little bit for our definition. Um, so, where do you where do you fall on that? And I might be cheating because I might already have the answer. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, what do you think? Do you think um, creativity is largely a um, an individual choice, or do you think that it's um, an inspirational sort of event? All right. I can. I'll speak from my own experience first. 
and, and I'll keep this brief, but I need to contextualize just a touch. Uh, so I'm someone who, from early age, was uh, susceptible to imagination. Uh, and that was encouraged in me. And I, uh, I still am full-blown embracer of imagination. Uh, one of the earliest essays that I read as an undergraduate um, was Samuel uh, uh, Taylor Coleridge's uh, piece on this very topic. And so uh, I have, I don't want to use the word indulge because that sounds so 21st century, like, oh, well, the arts, we just sort of, we just sort of do those because they're extras. That's how school curricula refer to them. Indulgence sounds like, oh, well, that's just something I do because I'm privileged and can, or that's something that I just do when I'm not doing my real stuff. And I don't buy into that at all. That's not acceptable to me. It's not an indulgence. It's, a, it's an embrace of, of the deeper part of what makes us human. Am I getting off track, Joel? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's, a, that's an important part of it. So, so, I mean, so it, that, it comes from the, for me, as someone who, uh, I, I, example, I, I, I thought I was going to go to, I, I thought I was going to go to, I, I wanted somehow in my teenhood to think that I was going to go uh, become part of the Marvel uh, comics uh, creators in New York City, a, a sort of mythological folkloric a place that didn't really necessarily exist if you read all the stuff by Stan Lee and others. But, but for a kid, that's what I wanted to do. But I, but I, and I was uh, sketching and so on, and I had an art teacher who was encouraging me, but I never really produced a portfolio, you see, and so there wasn't anything I could do about it. Fast forward uh, years later, I started sketching uh, off and on in my uh, early middle years, and then I sketched my children when they were born uh kept a notebook of that and then then i went away from it again and then i came back to it full-blown when my art, daughter was taking art lessons uh became friends with the art her art teacher and her, the art teacher's husband a lifelong friendship and that led to all sorts of more creativity so that over the past uh five six years i've been taking art lessons from her at a distance with google docs and the phone uh because she lives in florida and uh, I'm doing paper cutting, I'm doing watercolor, I'm doing sketches, I'm doing uh, a, a arrangements, aggregations of, of, of various objects, three-dimensional, three I'm doing photography. And, uh, and so it's not an indulgence. It, it feeds me. It, it, it leads to my creative uh, deepening and, and my, uh, uh, this is over talking, but my feeling of a, a wholeness to be able to function especially in a, a world going as it is now but it still comes from the outside partly for me or rather it comes from so deep in the space inside that i can't target what's going on uh, right yeah so. so so if you're looking at it you know the original question is um is it a choice or is it an inspiration and and what you're saying both. is it's both you're right yeah so and I feel the same way, which is that, I mean, yes, I choose points in time to pursue creative endeavors. I'll set aside time. But the reason I set aside time is because I feel compelled to do it. I can't, yes. I can't not do it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that don't consider themselves creative. Um, 
But that's kind of a fallacy because think of, let's, let's paint a picture, right? Let's say you're a very straight laced businessman and you wear three piece suits to bed and stuff. Right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have a radio in your car and you know, all this other stuff, right? You just not creative at all. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing is that guy still has dreams. When he goes to bed at night, his mind weaves a tapestry of things that happen uh, that, that aren't real. And yes. so that, that shows you that humans inherently, um, outside of rational choices or conscious sort of dealings, are creative. The human brain is a creative thing, and everybody has it. Yes, yes. So, you know, getting back to what does it mean to create, um, let's kind of incorporate that in, into it. So we're trying to define the essence of it. What does it mean to create? Um, so dreaming would be a, a creative act, do you think? Yes. On a, in an, albeit a subconscious or unconscious or combination of those, it, yes, it's a creative act because it is taking elements and putting them together in some kind of uh, vignette, visual narrative, or uh, sometimes you just see things in a dream and you have no idea what, what to make of them. You realize that you see them. You even sometimes realize you're in a dream, but you don't know what to make of it. So it's not so... Uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's it is very much a creative thing. So uh, dreaming would be um, really a, a very classical form of creativity, where you're it's pure inspiration. You don't really have a whole lot of control or conscious input into what's happening, um, but you are being creative through um, a subconscious sort of force, yeah. as opposed to. Um, something like um, problem solving in a business setting where, you know, without a doubt, there's subconscious elements. There's things that you are unaware of from your experience that you're drawing on to yes. problem solve. But in largely in part, you're being compelled to be creative well, because it's your job. You're getting compensated for it. So you're making a conscious choice to try to come up with creative solutions to a problem. See, isn't that interesting? That, that part you just said, you're being compensated for it. This is that, that, that dichotomous, that bifurcated Western notion that because I'm getting paid for it, somehow this can't be assumed or categorized, characterized as creative because, damn it, I'm being paid for it. So I, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm answering on a time clock or I'm, I'm contracted to do this, this kind of work. I think that's that's one of those notions that we that we nurture, uh, perhaps without even realizing it, in the immersed in the culture that we are. Uh, that really is sort of false. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Um, and if you look at it and how people practically use their time at work, especially especially in upper level positions, if you are a a manager of any type in a business, then you are a walking billboard for humanities studies because you are always using creative, you know, creativity, philosophy, um, problem solving, all these things that are, don't get taught in business school or any of these other sections. You know, there's, there's a lot that goes into, um, a lot that goes into it that isn't just something you learned in, in a, uh, you know, a business course. 
Right, and and the internet, and, and a side note to that, and I think you're probably aware of this, uh, there has been an explosion of creativity studies at, uh, at uh, programs or or um, tracks at colleges from the community college level up to the graduate level, where wherein you are studying creativity to try to make yourself more creative, especially. Of course, in those instances where it would be useful and practical, such as mm -hmm. the the business world, so somehow the uh, creativity as a study, as with so many other things, is an attempt, uh, an institutionalized attempt on a grand scale, to bring validity to that which never asked to be uh, defended in the first place. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're trying to uh, make a commodity out of something that isn't isn't really lend itself well to commodification. That brings me out, just an interesting side note. Um, I was looking at our podcast stats um, today, this morning, and um, thank everybody for listening because I know that everybody's stuck in yeah. the library now. And so yeah, we're, getting yeah, about, we're getting about six times the normal amount of listeners that we normally get, despite the fact that you and I haven't released any new episodes in over a month. Um, so that, <laughs> that's cool. But the other interesting thing about that is that we have, we did an episode on economics, I don't know, probably four or five months ago. Yeah. And um, the economics podcast is our most, po most listened to podcast um, of all time. And in the last 30 days, in the last 30 days, it's been listened to twice as much as the next podcast, which was our Isn't most recent that interesting? Yeah, That's so it. economics, um, people are very interested in it. And, you know, you could have a lot of, a lot of um, reasons for that, I suppose. I, I said in that episode that um, I think economics is almost an extension of philosophy because you can look at, you can almost look at everything in terms of markets, a supply and a demand and all these other things. So well, we're, we're taught to do that. Right, right. It's kind of an inherent part of, Every interaction is economic to some kind of extent, you know. Um, but yeah, just it was just kind of an interesting side note. But it, it does play into what we're saying, where our culture is so um, focused around that sort of commodification, um, and and how creativity plays into that. It, it they seem um, very diametrically opposed. Um, but you're right; people are there's, are going to great lengths to try to integrate them yeah well and and so so you find articles uh, uh there's a, a a network of blog blogosphere of a kind for uh cfos and cmos and, and people as you say in the upper levels of, of management and, and business and what and they and they go uh goggle-eyed google-eyed over uh when they find scientific studies that help us figure out how to improve our creativity and and i'm not i'm not mocking that i'm making a little light of it but i'm not i'm not mocking it, but it's but you know it's it, it's fascinating that there is a, a a layer of 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 personality that needs to see data in order to somehow it's as if it's as if the data is the the firewood that's going to stoke uh, eventually this creative flame, and so right. we'll gather up the data. And maybe if we put enough data together, we can figure out how to do this. 
Um, and, I, and I think that works for some people. So I, I truly am not mocking it, but it seems like the long way around. <laughs> right. All right. So I'll, I'll have the big reveal because um, I've had the answer and um, now I'll use it. Um, there was a, a study that just came out on creativity. And what they were looking at was jazz musicians improvising. <laughs> and they looked at musicians of various talent levels. And what they found was that, you know, there's this sort of um, built-in uh, conception of creativity as being a right-brained activity. Um, your left brain is all analytical and very mathematic and all this stuff. And then your right brain is your creative side. And that sort of exemplifies what we've been talking about up to this point. You got your your businessman and, you know, your hipster artist or whatever. Well, what they found in this study is looking at um, improvisational jazz musicians is that it's not right or left brain. Creativity occurs on both sides of the brain, but it occurs in those parts of the brain dependent on your experience and knowledge of the art you're taking place in. So, what they found is experienced jazz musicians, guys who had a very strong grasp on um, music theory and, you know, structures and modes and all these things. They found that those guys during improvisation, during creative acts, relied on the left side of their brain because that left side had all of the information about how music works. And so what would happen is they were relying on that side, but they were relaxing the executive control portion of their frontal lobe. So in other words, all of the knowledge was there, but rather than actively drawing on it, their brain was subconsciously drawing on the analytical parts of what they knew about music. But what they found with novice jazz players, guys who did not have a firm grasp on the fundamentals of the music is it was very right-brained. It was all in the moment. What am I doing right now? Okay, I guess I'll try this and see what happens, you know? So rather than it being, you know, the subconscious drawing on the analytical, it was very much consciously drawing on that creative in the moment sort of aspect. So Interesting. It's right. It's not purely a right brain thing. And it's, as a matter of fact, it's going to vary from individual to individual um, based on, you know, the art and the person's background with it and all kinds of different contextual factors. You see that, and, and, and the commonality, as, as, and you, you, you've summarized that really well. The, the commonality is that in both cases, there is this really, really fascinating giving away control or making oneself vulnerable to uh, the unknown. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, uh, leaping without a net, so to speak. The net's there, perhaps, but it's it's a an embrace of, I don't know what step's coming next and I don't need to, it just will. Right. Yeah, in the one case, it's like if you have a, you know, somebody who's never tightrope walked before and they're deciding, Hey, I'm just going to go for it and walk on the rope. And then the other guy's an expert tightrope walker, but he's choosing to close his eyes as he does it, you know, it's, it's, but, yeah, but you're right. Yeah. It's, it's that doing something that you are uncomfortable with or is a, apart from, you know, what's going on. And that's where 
these creativity things, it, you know, you get into those questions. Can you teach creativity? Can you increase creativity? Well, I think you get into sort of a uh, paradoxical problem there where I think you can, you can learn ways to increase creativity, but then after you learn them, you can't be consciously thinking about them when you're trying to apply them. Exactly. You have to learn them and then you have to forget about them and trust that when the moment comes to use them, your subconscious will draw on it. And, 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 there's some, and, and being honest with being honest with what your whatever you characterize it as, your brain, your heart, whatever, your, your mind, your imagination is seeing within what you were seeing. I think that, that uh, one of the great blockade, blockades um, or borderlands for people is the idea that art somehow must be, uh, visual art particularly, must be strictly representational and that only if something looks really close to what the thing is that was the subject has art been achieved when uh, when that's only one small uh, accomplished layer of such a diversity of, of images so uh, it, it's there's an attempt to control what uh, what art is by, by putting these parameters around it uh, but what you were just talking about before it re reminded me of Ralph Waldo Emerson have you have you read Emerson uh, at all Joel yeah yeah. All right. So he, the two things that he said, it's a happy, happy talent to know how to play. And imagination is play. It is being open to uh, playfulness. And, and think about how, how much of the messaging still in our culture, and I think this is probably what, what creativity studies are about to encourage too, uh, is well, kids play. Adults can't do that because we got to be all grown up and taking care of things. As if, as if there's no play in the very decisions you make day to day. And those things you were describing about before, the business person in the three-piece suit, uh, sleeping in the three-piece suit, which was playful imagery, <laughs> uh, to make the point. And 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 Emerson also said that, that, that there are two uh, terrors that that. Uh, discourage being creative and and uh, and one of those is a fear of public opinion well that would be a, a peer fear or this you know whatever sphere you're talking about and undue reverence for one's own consistency uh, as in oh well if i did this well i gotta do the next one equally well because if i don't uh then i'm obviously not good at this at all because being good at something means always being good at something. And that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that's what, when you become, you know, a, a real artist, I, you know, somebody who has any kind of experience making art of any kind, that's something you are going to struggle with. It's almost like a Campbellian cycle. You, you're going to get to that point where, um, you know, you make good things and then, you make something and you look at it and you go, you know what, that's not bad, but I don't like it. And I think that that's when your brain is transitioning over from doing that right-brained, just in the moment sort of thing over to the analytical part. And you're realizing, 
no, this isn't creative anymore. I'm just using the things that I know about this to regurgitate something that I think is going to be good in public opinion, or I think is going to be consistent with the things I put out before. And I think that's the crucial point for artists is when you, you have to realize now I need to learn how to relax the executive control and just trust that I'm going to do something, you know, that is, is creative. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you're making stuff. This is what you asked when you posed at the beginning. Uh, Think of how many uh, musicians have revealed or spoken over the years of at some point, being pressured to make the same kind of thing that they made in the previous album. And so they right. could, but, and it was making something, uh, but was it uh, deeply creative? Probably not, because it wasn't taking the risks. It was just uh, being on cruise control. How many people right. really enjoy being on cruise control in a car? Well, if you're going a long distance, sometimes it makes things easier but then you're not paying nearly as much attention as you as you might wish to right so uh, yeah yeah this seems like a good time to uh, I'll, I'll do my my section with the music because this is something that i've realized as i've looked through things if you go on youtube right and you decide you want to learn how to be a good songwriter right there will be there'll be a lot of tutorials and a lot of them will say um very similar things about songwriting. Um, Things like, okay, well, if you're going to have a good song, you're going to want to stick to uh, the tonic chord, or you're going to want to um, change chords, you know, on measures and and do certain things, right? And so what I'll do is I'll play you a very short um, kind of excerpt of what a good songwriting tutorial would, would give you. And we'll, for the sake of it, we'll do, we'll do a ditty for our podcast, and I'll use it for the the exit music at the end when we're finished. So, a little bonus feature if you stick around. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so if you followed, you know what good songwriting is. This is kind of what you'd end up with. Welcome from nowhere to nothing. So what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with it, right? It's, it's, it's musically sound. You're, you're moving from the tonic to the fifth to the fourth. That's the strongest chord progression in music. It's used in all kinds of songs. There's thousands and thousands of hit songs that have been written with it. Um, the, the rhythm is very even. The chords change on time. Everything about it is, is musically perfect other than, you know, my sloppy hands and tone-deaf voice, right? So... There's nothing wrong with it, but is it the most creative thing you could make? No. So what things could you do? Is creative songwriting good songwriting? Are are they synonymous? Um, And that's some questions you can ask. Surely somebody, you know, people have taken those three chords and done creative things with them. Um, But there's other ways you can get around it too. So, you know, one thing you could do is just change up the rhythm, you know, right away. Another thing that you could do is you could substitute chords. So maybe that second chord, rather than going to the fifth, we borrow a chord from a different mode. 
<laughs> and right there, it still sounds good, but it has a feel that is not that generic, um, yes, yes. very played through. It, it, it experiments. Another thing you can do is you can aug, you know, augment chords. So maybe I take that last chord, and rather than playing a straight C, maybe I make it a major seventh. So then if I take that, you know, and, and I think about the melody line, that first melody line was good because they tell you you should use kind of a repetitive melody, right? So I had a very, a melody line that sort of followed itself all the time. But there's other ways you can make melodies interesting, you know, by adjusting the shortness or longness of phrases, pitches, all that kind of stuff. So if we kind of added that into our ditty, let me think for a minute. Because I'm making this up as I go along. So yeah, you're sure being creative, man. <laughs> so if our new version would be... Welcome to... Yeah. Welcome from nowhere to nothing. Hmm. Which is much different from... Welcome... From nowhere to nothing. You see, they, yeah, that, yeah. that came from the first thing, but it's just um, one of them is textbook songwriting, and one of them is if you put a creative twist on it. And there's millions of different ways to do it. That's just one way. You know, I just took one element, you know, I just looked at the individual elements of the little ditty and changed one thing on each one. And you can mm -hmm. change them to anything you want and come up with something different. And not all of them are going to be good, but we'll talk about at the end what good creativity is. But that's just an example. So it's an excellent example, and I, I just I'm sitting here. You know, I love to hear you play, and and and, and what you're putting in my mind of is many things. Uh, uh, Henry David Thoreau, uh, you know, he, he lived on Walden Pond, but. Some family members brought him pies. He didn't live all by himself, even though he wrote about living all by himself. Uh, nonetheless, it was good writing. But he says, uh, the world is a canvas uh, for the imagination. And it's not, it's not what you look at that's really what matters, but it's what you see. Well, you just did that. It's not what you uh, uh, hear. Uh, uh, you know, it's not what just comes into your ears, but it's what you are hearing underneath it and all, all of the possibilities. And, and that is where the choices begin. Mm -hmm. The experimentation begins. Uh, and, the, and the chaos. Nietzsche said you, you have to have chaos in your soul if you're going to give birth to a dancing star. You've got to be able to, to release yourself into... How about this? Maybe that. Uh, in order to do these things. Yeah, and, and again, I think that's something where the creative process for different people of different levels of experience is going to be different. You know, because I've read interviews with famous musicians where um, some of them it's been, yeah, you know, I was just sitting there, you know, in the shower, and then suddenly the entire song was in my head. Yeah. And then there's yeah. been other people where 
like you said, like, yeah, I sat down, I strummed one chord and I thought, well, where do I go from here? And then I, you just made a series of small choices and, you know, sometimes they would lead to something creative. Sometimes they would, they'd make something and then say, this is no good and strip it back to a certain part and make different choices. Um, but that's what makes creativity interesting is it's not a formulaic thing because exactly it's a it's a very messy process what we're finding out what the science is showing us is that it's happening all over your brain and different people all experience it a different way so there isn't going to be a cookie cutter process to doing it and even if you know even somebody here i am with i have the same experience level and the same knowledge level as i had five minutes ago um but that doesn't mean I'm going to create something the exact same way I created it five minutes ago. So it's, it's always going to be different. And um, tell, tell me how you feel. I mean this. How do you feel? Because I saw it in your face. How do you feel about the, the thing you started out with? And then how do you feel about the thing that uh, you stopped with? Yeah, the, um, the thing I started out with, I, I really don't like. Um, and you know, my music is out there online and, you know, anybody can listen to it. And people who have probably realized that I go very far out of my way not to write anything that comes close to being um, a popular sort of um, progression. But within that, um, I do try to create music that has a popular or catchy feel to it. Um, a lot of my favorite artists did that um probably one of my favorite bands is soundgarden they were a big rock band during the 90s mm -hmm. and um the reason i like them so much is because they had all these radio hits things that would get stuck in your head things you, you listen there it's very good but they always wrote in weird time signatures in weird guitar tunings in very strange eclectic things but they took all the weirdness and put it together into something that was very accessible and that's that's always what I tried like you know tried to do. I to me it always seemed, um, it seemed too easy to just take the regular chords and the regular songwriting rules and create something that people liked. And it always felt like you could create something that people using those you could always create something that people something people liked but not something that people loved. And so I always like throwing the the weird things in there. That's what that's what makes it cool to me. So. Um, yeah. And then, you know, what I ended up with, is it the best thing I ever wrote? No, you know, like it's, it, I just came up with it all at the top of my head. Um, but do I like it infinitely better than the, the musically correct thing I started with? Yeah, I do. I like it a lot better, you know, yeah, because it has, it has some sort of individual flair to it. It has something that sets it apart from those thousands of other songs that have been written using the same tools. That's the answer because I saw it even through Zoom, even through the cameras at a distance. I saw what was going on in in your expression because you felt what Nietzsche would call a quivering. You felt the the, the thrill, however small, of oh yeah, that's that's the thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I'm so so grateful to be. Blessed, I'm surrounded with incredible creative human beings. Uh, my daughter is a puppeteer and a performance artist, and a dancer and a singer. My son who teaches music. Uh, I, 
I'm in the process right uh, right now with all this stuff going on and teaching online entirely because of what's going on. Uh, but I have three different friends who are asking me, uh, having me read through their books to edit. And editing is a creative process of a different kind because you're mm-hmm. trying because you're trying not to to step on the voice of the writer. You're trying to help. Uh, tune the voice of the writer to uh, clarify, much as what you you did when when uh, when Amanda uh, gave me these uh, earbuds to clarify the sound. I think editing is a is a is a creative act. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so but all of these and there's so much creativity right now at this historical moment where people are going on online and and doing impromptu concerts from their living rooms and 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 comedy and scene work and reaching out to uh, people on the other side of the planet my, my daughter found this little opportunity that is pretty amazing so this weekend i'm sorry next week she's going to do a second lesson with a group of children from scotland because their mother reached out to a small service where artists had said uh uh, had applied, uh, so they're they're going to be learning puppetry, playing with puppets from somebody who's a trained puppet, nurturing their creativity. Not saying, no, here's the formal ma- master's degree level of puppetry. No, 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 no. Just uh, playful. Uh, you know John Dewey. You 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 studied John Dewey because of your education. Uh, uh, he said, because he's a pragmatist, of course, <laughs> he said, every great advance uh, in, in the sciences anywhere comes from issues from an, an audacity of the imagination. Hmm. Uh, now, that word, audacity, uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, it sounds like, you know, it's something that is, it flies in the face of the status quo, you know? It's something that is, stands out. Yeah. A boldness, right? A boldness, uh, which which is also about leaping from a vulnerable moment. There can be nothing more vulnerable in in a creative sense than to do what you just did. Hey, I'm going to pull out my guitar. Yeah, I'm used to this. This is my home studio, and I'm. But still, to make that step and say, I'm going to work on the song right now. Yeah, and you know, and especially when you're you're doing it, and, and you know people are going to be listening, and then like you screw up start, starting out, it's like, oh shoot, like <laughs> maybe I should go back and edit that out. But you know, they wouldn't be honest. You know, that's that's the thing of it. It's like we were talking about. That's the authentic the, part. The biggest fear is public opinion and consistency. You know, and that and that's the thing is you got to get over that at some point if you're going to continue to try to put forth something that isn't isn't just you know what you've always done you know? manufactured yeah wrote in some way yeah this is interesting joel it really is uh should i i guess i should try to be to be fair to be quid pro quo i should try to do uh something too yeah yeah <laughs> i will try not to be long about it but it's going to involve doing a visual screen share so okay. uh, you can fill in the space while I'm clicking. <laughs> um, okay, I, I, I think I found 
I, I think I found what I'm after. So these are going to be two, <clears throat> two quick moments, or relatively quick moments, but but to illustrate from the visual side of somebody who's finally come to the place uh, with his teacher. That would be me. I came to the place where I said, you know what? I realize that I am an artist. And she said, we finally had the breakthrough. So here, here is uh, something. I don't know if you can see it on your screen. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I do a lot of walking and I carry my camera. And sometimes I end up seeing things, take pictures, do paper cuttings of them, uh, sometimes watercolors, but sometimes I just play with the image. This was no play whatsoever, except the play of the imagination. I was walking along our railroad tracks where I live. It's fascinating because you always find things popping up. And I walked along and there was this aggregation of elements. What do you see? It looks like in the in the gravel there's some kind of rim over there on the right. Yep. And then what is the white what is the white circle the white circle is uh, a piece of metal that uh came off apparently a, a barrel from the railroad track okay so the rim is probably the outside of the right okay and and i stopped and i said oh my gosh a bicycle oh yeah there it is yep i see what this see, is. now what just happened i said oh my gosh a bicycle and you said oh yeah there it is something just all the elements at a suggestion came together, right? Right. Except I, I'm walking along and I look and I said to myself, oh my gosh, a bicycle. And and there it was. But I and, and I was laughing with my uh, art teacher a week ago because I shared this with her because this was uh, from a few days, well, a week ago or so that I took this. And, and she said, oh my gosh, spectacles. Oh, yeah. Because she has yeah, a friend. You see your face too. Yeah. Yeah, and so I said, "Oh, it's spectacles on an owl, and an owl's raising his eyebrow." Well, owls don't have eyebrows, but on the on the left hand side, uh, over that white uh, barrel cover, there's this piece of wood, and it looks like an eyebrow lifting, and then there's sort of the scraggly feathers. We're making things out of something that was just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you can see it too. The longer you look at it. The more it starts. And that's playful. And then I went and I intruded. So there was a block, a mossy block of wood uh, nearby. And I just took it and I tossed it in. I said, there, there's the seat to the bicycle. Nobody's going to mistake that. <laughs> so <laughs> it, is, it, is it art? It's not high art. Is it play? Yes. But is it also sort of uh, nurturing what one uh, stumbles onto. I'm going to scramble down to something else. A little bit later on that walk, I along the track, I came upon this, this stuff that every element of my being was saying, danger, Will Robinson. This looks toxic. This looks, this looks <laughs> awful. Something was shattered. Something was broken. And, and there were these, these pieces that were very troubling. Um, and, and the colors, though, they were so interesting to me. But I began, and I, so I took the image just because of, of the colors and these, these things that look like melted steel and plastic. And, 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 and so I went over, I had gloves on, I picked it up. It was, it was light, 
but it was strange, and I still don't know what all this stuff was. Uh, but I went back home and was playing with filters on it because in my head, I saw a space helmet. I saw ice. I yeah. saw uh, I saw a ship that had been fragmented. I saw what was remaining of the, the, the person who had flown it and floating in the debris fields in space. Now, people would think I'm insane. I Maybe, but I don't think entirely. But but it's about being aware of where your imagination is going and and looking at things, but not just looking at them, but seeing what you really see in them. And and then there's this last thing. I found this, this clutter of, of broken pottery and shards and metal burned pieces. Again, this... But it spoke to me, and so what I did was I started arranging. I, and I down the tracks about a quarter of a mile later. I found these three casings, Joel. They're about six inches long each. They're hollow. They're bent at the end, and I, I swore they looked like some kind of artillery casings. But there wasn't artillery being fired up on the. I don't know what these things are, right? But I saw this, these these circular kind of sh- and terracotta kind of shards. And then I went back down the other part of the track, picked up some of that, that debris, tossed it in, and in my mind, I was beginning to see a, a thing that I called exploded world, diaspora, which is a, you know, a large outgoing, running away from something, a movement of a population, a planet blowing up, and three ships getting burned and blasted as they're trying to get away from it. Yeah. But, then I, but then I changed the color, and just by playing with the light filters, this side is what took, and I began to see as something almost like a anime or manga-ish uh, creature, butterfly opening up and technological stuff falling out of it. So I told my art teacher that clearly right now with everything that's going on in, in, in the, on the planet, there's a lot of feeling like things are falling apart, fragmenting and and uh, lots of feelings of trying to run away from that which is. Uh, is it art? Well, I think so. Um, but like you taking a basic set of, of conics chords and saying, no, that's safe. I'm not going to be safe. Uh, for me, seeing something and then seeing into something and trying to see something very freshly uh, when it's just been sitting there for who knows how long, um, that's, the t- that's the taking of the risk. Yeah, it's really, you know, it's like a Rorschach test of, you know, in, in nature. And really, that's what a lot of the first creative acts were like. You know, it, you're not doing anything different than what people thousands of years were doing when they were looking up at the night sky and trying to make constellations out of what they were seeing, you know? Yes, and and it's being, and now we're back to that common thing. It's what you're hearing. It's what you're really seeing beneath what you just are glancing at. Um, I, I remember a moment when I first uh, my my family gave me this, this lovely camera that I'm beginning to finally learn how to use, and and uh, I'm going to stop the share on this. And and I took a picture of of uh, underneath a bridge, a creek bridge at the bottom of our hill. 
that had cracks and, and it was sort of silicate uh, elements in the in the wall. And I said, there's something in that wall and I've got to figure out what it is. Well, by degrees, I did a set of, of shots in which I was changing the light values. And eventually there wasn't a wall at all. There was a constellation, which was just pinpoints of light that were uh, from that silicate material. So a wall suddenly becomes an entire universe. And, and for me, that's what the creativity is, is about, is, is finding the honest, uh, what you're seeing beneath everything. Yeah. Yeah, this has been so good because we've come so far in talking about the topic itself. And we haven't, we haven't covered anything that I had on the agenda. <laughs> and it's great because everything that we've done, I felt like has been very important to talking about creativity. Um, but now it is kind of leading us back into a couple of the questions that I had. So, and, and things like this. So let's look at speculative. We'll, we, we, we covered the essence this whole time and the formative we did a little bit of, but let's go to the speculative. So let's, let's jump right to that end question. How do we measure creativity outside of culture? Meaning, how much does culture play into the things that we consider creative? And how much does culture discourage things that it considers ugly or, you know, badly creative? You look at avant-garde music or, a, you know, atonal music or, um, like, like what you're doing, found, found um, art. Yeah, found, yeah, a lot yeah. of people would say, no, that's not art. You just took a bunch of junk and put it together, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So how... How do we, is, is there a way we measure it, creativity or what we're doing outside of the culture that we live in? Uh, well, yes. Um, aesthetics philosophy has changed over the years and offers various benchmarks or rubrics, as we would call them in education. But one of the ones that seems most consistent is, does it move us? Which itself is a metaphor, isn't it? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, maybe it does. You're looking at a painting and you move, or you, or you, you're starting to snap your fingers or dance with a tune. You start to move your head. It, it really does move you. There are some things you hear and you say, "Okay, can we get to the next thing?" And there's some things you hear and you say, "Yeah, yeah, I really like this." Um, so I, I, I think that I think that what the culture prescribes or uh, expects. It's not really what's necessarily high on the list. Uh, uh, the older, uh, well, you know, in the 1800s, 17, 1800s, the word sublime got used a lot, and we've talked about that. And so that, that which is um, so awesome <laughs> that we realize there's something going on there, even if it's as Nietzsche says, that little thrill, that little quiver, that moment when you know there's been. A, a transaction <laughs> to use the business right uh, if you're under transactional analysis that moment when that piece of work affected you just in being there whether it's the the, the ripples and 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 sound waves coming to the ears or whatever is visual and and not every single thing is going to move every single person because if it did then that would imply that there's just a uh, a mundane universality that uh, uh, if everything's art, then nothing is. Mm. Um, but the things which move you, 
one could say are, are art. Right, and I think that that comes, it's almost like looking in a mirror, right? We've talked about how the process of creating things is different for every person. Well, I think the process of interpreting what's creative is follows that same thing. You know, you're, you're using different structures of your brain to interpret what you think of as creative or what you think of as art. And everybody else is doing the same thing. And that's why art is always controversial. Nobody, every, every single person on earth doesn't look at something or listen to something and everybody say, this is good. It's unanimous. You know, like, no, no there's always no. going to be people that say, hey, this sucks, or this is boring, or this is just bad, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. and we got to realize that, you know, is it, you know, I could write my, my, the first version of that song I wrote, very safe, musically, like I said, musically textbook. There's nothing wrong with that song, mm-hmm. but I don't like it. And I'm sure that there's lots of other people that don't like it. And to me, the reason I don't like it is because it's boring. Somebody else might say it's bad. Other, yeah. other people might say, no, it was pleasant, or it was serene, or it was... Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to have a different adjective for what they thought of it. And the end product will be the same thing. You know, I, I kind of like what I came up with at the end, but some people might think, no, it sounds too, you know, it's, it's too this or that or, you know, whatever. I, and then I think it's just the same thing with, with any sort of form of art. Is, culture definitely plays into it. You know, you look at um, what Indian music and, you know, what kind of times and musical modes they have versus American music. And yeah, things are going to be more pleasing to one ear than the other. Um, they might be intriguing. And see, and, it's not, and, and, and so, yeah, they might be pleasing. I, I think, and pleasing is important. Sometimes you want that, but pleasing doesn't necessarily, as, as you say, imply serene. You may right. be going for a serene effect, and you can have an incredibly involved intrigue for how you're being made to feel serene because you're actually investigating your mind. What has this artist been doing? Yeah. Uh, that makes that creates this. Uh, yeah, and, and m- m- movie scores are great for that sort of thing. Oh right my gosh! Now, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm watching. I'm sadistically watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy while bicycling. Inside. Oh, Howard Short. So there's a th- three and a half hours of biking while I'm watching these movies. But you listen to the music, and yeah, some of the music is pleasant. You know, when they're in the Shire and stuff. But some of it is unpleasant. But it's still very moving. It's you know, incredible. you listen to it, and it it's is. just, oh wow, this is you know. And of course, my favorite stuff is is the Star Wars music, and some of that is just incredible because of the kind of soundscapes they're creating. It it almost sounds magical, really, actually magical. And you think about that, what would those movies be like without the music? You know, would you even would you feel the same way about them if you didn't have that? specific music exactly that that whole under well this is a discussion my son and i have had forever since he was you know he's he's an adult out there doing his practice but when when we i i shared soundtracks with him from little from when he was little and and we still have this thing where we will challenge each other we'll listen for two or three seconds which who wrote this which which (laughs) you know because because it's looking for it because you can tell when john williams wrote something yeah yeah. You know, you, you can... Hans Zimmer. Hans, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer, absolutely. It's one of our favorites. And, and Howard Shore, he gave me a book at Christmas about the uh, the creative, uh, the, the, the uh, interviewing Shore at, at length about what was going on when, when he wrote those masterful pieces. Um, so, yeah, we can all agree. Maybe we don't like the same exact sets of pieces. Maybe somebody likes the Shire more, somebody likes the Tower more, thank more. 
uh, as, as musical pieces, but the range uh, and what is done. Um, uh, you know, there are, there are philosophers who, who have said in various ways uh, that the creativity um, is, is the mystery, the mystery of freedom. That, that, that freedom is anxiety. That's what the existentialist says. But there's a great freedom because of the anxiety. Because if you wake up and you realize you're seeing the world in ways that other people refuse to or cannot or let go and ignore, uh, then you are, then you have the anxiety of, do I put my vision out there? Do you, do you have the, 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 the mysterious thing that says, yes, but I need to put this out there. Yeah. Yeah. If, I, if nobody hears it but me, I still need to put it into the air. Right. Yeah, so that's really interesting. We'll, we'll cover one more question before we wrap it up. And I think okay. this one is, is really um, interesting, kind of the crux of it's leading up to what we've been talking about. And that is, can anything truly be created now? Um, you look at, um, in, in the past, you know, things were created and whatnot. But you think about it now. And in my intro, I said, you know, an artist or a painter, if you're using colors or brushes that have been done before, as a matter of fact, I've got a painting over here I just did, and I modeled it off of um, some paintings that Van Gogh did. Van Gogh did, <laughs> he loved doing paintings of the blue wall and the table and then a vase full of dandelions or uh, sunflowers. And he did a lot of these paintings. And so I did one, right? And uh, so is that a creative thing? Well, you know, I'm not copying exactly what he did. I didn't try to recreate what he did, but I was just inspired by what he did. So is that a, is that a creative act? I'm using, I'm using <laughs> colors that have been used before. I'm using brushes. I'm using even imagery that's been used before. It is a creative act. It, it is a creative act. It's a creative act. <clears throat> First, I'm going to do this, this sort of pseudo-Zen thing and say, uh, how many waves are alike? when they crash in on the beach. Right, they're probably none of them. <laughs> probably none of them. How many snowflakes are alike, right? And so, mm -hmm. of course it's creative because you made it, and you made it, even if you'd made it in an utter attempt at studying a master and and uh, were learning from the strokes and uh, the colors, it's still creative because you are taking the same particles, chemicals, whatever, uh, um, and putting them together. And they cannot be the exact same thing because of the very nature of the materials, but but you are making what you are seeing. So yeah, it's great. Right. So, all right, so let's, let's go a little bit deeper then, right? So let's say, I'm, I'm a forger, right? I'm trying to exactly copy what Van Gogh did. Is still creative? Yes. And I, and I, and I will tell you, uh, my mind has changed about that to some, some extent because of a novel by a, a science fiction fantasy writer named Brandon Sanderson. A novel that I just read about a month ago. I'm trying to find quickly on the screen the, the name of uh, the, the, the piece because it's about... Uh, a forger, except uh, the forger is in this world. Uh, it's called the Emperor's Soul. A forger can can 
to make pieces of art and then steal the real piece and leave her piece in place of it in, in a castle or in an emperor's zone. Uh, and people will say, why? Why are you doing that? Because I want to show that it is creative, just as creative as the original was, because I can fool you about its uh, provenance. It's mine because I made it. It's not the same as the original, but you don't know how to look at it enough to determine that. Only a specialist really could. But then it also goes on. She's actually forging a human soul. So it goes really into the fantasy uh, world. Yeah, I think a forger is because a forger, as you said, has all the craftsman knowledge, the basic knowledge of the, let's say, forging a song. Mm -hmm. Because there are people who do covers and they try to sound exactly right. right. So are you being Elvis Presley if you imitate or forge Elvis Presley? No. Are you entertaining people uh, and actually bringing your own because you, you invariably are going to be bringing your own nuances into it even if you're trying to play being Elvis uh, you know, I know that's done around here so much that's why I bring that one up but um, I, I think you, you can't help but stumble into fresh space even when you're trying not to yeah yeah and, and I think that I, I'd probably agree with you um, this is a big philosophical question in creativity because there's the, the kind of the positions that uh, open up are the big position that would argue against you would be the one that says no a forger or somebody covering a song has talent but they don't have creativity because there was no original vision there's no original vision they just have the talent and the tools to copy um what was already created by somebody else what do you what would you think well i I certainly i i understand that argument and i think that i would even accept that in some circumstances but not universally because um, because the, the the artistic forger, so to speak, uh, is trying to insert her or his their own take, even as they're imitating what is there. Right. In other words, I, I think that they're they are they are adding. There's an accretive process, ever so subtle, perhaps that uh, the really fine forgers would, would be doing, almost as if to say, putting one little extra brush stroke at the bottom just to see if anybody would notice. Or, yeah. you know, th- th- that shadow wasn't quite right because the master wasn't perfect. And there's a shadow on that tree that I'm going to just adjust slightly because that's where the angle of the light would be coming from. So I think there is an artistry in that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've... I've done, like I said, I, I painted a thing that was inspired by Van Gogh's and, you know, I've played covers of other people's songs mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think you're exactly right. I think it is a creative process, but the creative process is much more similar to what you mentioned earlier about editing. Um, Cause I also do audio mixing and mastering that sort of thing. Yeah. Like you said, you're trying, it's creative because you're starting out with something and you're trying to end with something else but you're trying to work within a certain set of guidelines, which- That's the Apollonian, that's the Apollonian part. Right, without, without, you're you're using the restrictions to try to 
accomplish a certain goal. And like you said, I don't think it's any less creative, but I think that it is definitely different. You know, it's, it's a different type of creativity. Yeah. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, this has been great. I think that we, we covered a lot of ground and uh, we might dive a little bit deeper into some, uh, some things next time, or maybe we'll head in a totally different direction. We'll, we'll have to talk about it a little bit when we're done here, but sure. all right, everybody, thanks for listening or watching. And, uh, until next time, keep hungry.